Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is independent of Santa Cruz Guitar Company, and all opinions are those of the speakers. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. I made it. I, I'm <laughs> hey, buddy, how are you? Good. Nice to see you guys. Yeah, good seeing you. Hey, Adam, nice to meet you virtually. Great to meet you as well. Yeah, it's so great to see you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guitar. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll do for a while. There you go. Until well, I, I, I get my I, next one. I did a live stream on Sunday, Adam. I had a brand new OM mahogany that he had just bought from Sylvan. Mm -hmm. This thing was like five pianos on steroids. I mean, this thing is three weeks old and he was, Keith Grininger was playing it across the room and it was just so unbelievable. That's and, amazing. You know, this thing, uh, boy, this is like a dream come true for me. Check in, check in, check in. Yeah, it works for me. All right, cool. Great. So, kids, let's get started here. We got 45 minutes, and um, Great. first of all, we have to do all our disclaimers that anything we say or use or do against us will not be used against us or the Santa Cruz Guitar Company here. This is our own ideas and our own thoughts, and, um, you know, we are so happy today to welcome the first of our really truly Santa Cruz guitar players, guitar players, uh, podcast for the forum. And uh, sitting in front of you there is Adam Trom. And the first time I met Adam, I had the opportunity to record him and his playing partner, Colin Gilmore. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm standing in front of Happy Trom's son and Jimmy Dale Gilmore's son. And I'm just pinching myself because of the history standing in front of me. And over the course of the next couple of days, I got the opportunity to know Adam as an artist in his own right. I loved his songs, his sense of humor, and his outlook on music in general. I also found him to be very approachable as an online instructor and video creator. Um, Adam recently, Adam's recent video for Homespun, Basic Mandolin for Guitar Players, highly recommended here as being a basic mandolin player. And Adam is involved in a lot of online instruction, video creation for Homespun Video, and his personal projects, music projects. Um, we'll talk about those, but um, I'd like to introduce you to Adam Trom, a devoted husband, father, dog lover, avid Santa Cruz guitar player with a brand new OM that he's standing there holding right now. I think you've had it for about six, eight months. About right, yes, sir. Some, somewhere right in there. And uh, so you're 10 years old. Yeah. And you're practicing guitar in your bedroom in Woodstock, New York, where you grew up. What happens? Well, um, just uh, you're you're almost correct with your timeline. I was uh, 16, um, and and uh, as my wife likes to joke, I went I, at the time uh, I was going to a Quaker school in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, called Oakwood School. Um, I left the my local high school and went to to um, board five days a week, and it was around Thanksgiving, and um, one of my playing buddies was a guy named Wu Jin, who we called Jack. And uh, Wu Jin was maybe one of the biggest Dylan fans ever. And um, he was an amazing guitar player and he was from Korea and we had struck up quite a good friendship. And um, we were working on one of our songs and, you know, we hear this knock on the door and and it was Bob Dylan. And Dylan says, hey man, mind if I sit in? <laughs> and, and before I go any further, I have to just add that uh, Wu Jin, or Jack as we called him, uh, Jack was like so shy. He would barely come down, it was over Thanksgiving break. He didn't, obviously couldn't go back to Korea. So he, so he, stayed with me and and like he would barely come down for a meal um excuse me while i shut off my, my email there we go much better 
So, um, so Jack and Jack and I would sit and play, and then he, you know, bring his eat his dinner and then rush back upstairs. And, and so, I thought he was going to faint seeing Dylan. And so, and I, at the time before it, it had gotten stolen, when I was in college, I was playing uh, a Gibson SG through uh, Roly Sally's um, basement 10 amp that he had left. Roly Sally's been, uh, has, has been uh, Chris Isaac's bass player for many, many years, probably 30 years now, if not more. And um, he had moved back to California and left his amp. And I sort of took it over until, uh, I don't know what happened to that amp, but I was playing through that. Wu Jin had his amp and, and so, and he also had his little Hondo two bass. I remember it was like a it was like a P bass knockoff, and um, so I'm about to hand Dylan off my my electric guitar, and he goes, "No, man, I'll play that." And so he goes and grabs the bass, and he goes, and I and you know I was getting ready to launch into maybe one of his songs or something, and and he was like, "What was that you guys were playing?" And so. We were like, oh, it's just a song we're writing. And so we played it. And then we played another tune with him. And we might have played one more. And kind of goes like this and goes, hey, man, you guys are pretty good. <laughs> he walks out. <laughs> and I think he may have. And then I went down and joined them for a few minutes. And his son, Jesse, was there. who's a really good filmmaker. Uh, and I talked with him and Jesse for a minute. and. And then, but I think Dylan was the last person my parents let smoke in their house. And that was a lot of years ago. <laughs> they were like, I remember them having this conversation and, and they were like, I don't know, it's Dylan. <laughs> like normally they were like, really, nope, there is no smoking in this house. And, uh, and, but of course there was there was Dylan, so they were like, eh. <laughs> Except the exception to the rule always. So do you wanna you wanna talk a little bit about growing up under one of the most unbelievable finger pickers on the planet? Yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. Um you know, here's the thing about growing up with a well known musician is that you don't actually recognize your situation when you're growing up because that's at some point, like I knew it was special, but like that was just my world. And, and so I didn't really, like, I didn't think a lot about it. You know, there was just always great music around and there would be song circles. And, you know, ever since I could start to piece together songs, they'd give me songs to play with the song circles. And, you know, so we'd be sitting around with John Sebastian and Rory Block and, you know, and, you know, and all these different people. And, you know, they were just part of my, and, you know, and they were just part of my landscape, you know, and they were my parents' friend and friends. And later on, I became, I considered them to be friends and of my own. And, and, uh, you know, Levon would come over to the house. And like the first time I met Levon, I think I was two years old and he immediately like put me up on his shoulders and was walking around and we were best friends from that point. And, yeah. Like years later, I saw him, I think I was in like maybe first, second year of college and we were, I was home and, and I saw Levon and he was clearly in an interview. And so I just said to Lee, I was like, I just waved and he goes, Adam, come here. You know, and he introduced me to the writer. He goes, Adam, John, this is Adam Trout. This is my godson. And he pulls me onto his lap. I'm like, you know, a sophomore in college and I'm sitting on <laughs> Levon's lap, you know, and, and uh, you know, that was, and uh, and my my very first gig, and this this I, I know I'm sort of bouncing around a little bit, but this I think speaks to my my growing up and just sort of the landscape that I was in. My very first gig, I was in a band with his stepson Ezra Titus, who was Libby was Libby Titus's son. Unfortunately, he passed away. Um, Amy Helm, I think, might have been singing with us. A very very young Amy. Um, Gabe Butterfield, who's Paul Butterfield's son. And it was the, the opening of the barn at the All RCO All-Stars. And, wow. you know, my only, my only thing that I hadn't remembered, but my sister April reminded me of, April's a very good drummer, was that 
they kind of ed elbowed her out of the group because they thought a girl couldn't play drums. And she, at the time, she was, even then, she was a very good drummer. And so I, I kind of wish my, my sister April had been able to share that with, with us. But, you know, uh, kind of different times. Anyway, so, so like that was my first gig. And I think we played Wild Thing two or three times. And maybe we had a couple other things. And at the time, I was a piano player. Uh, piano was my first instrument and Ezra was a really good guitar player and I think Ronnie Hawkins kids were were in were in that little jam session group too oh my goodness so and I'm actually um I've I've been talking to Leah Hawk and we've been we've been talking about maybe trying to have some sort of a a, a kids reunion but but obviously these days it's a little more a little trickier, but yeah, might um, be a might be an interesting Zoom idea for the legacy release. Yeah, exactly. You know, just bring everybody together and and just have a little party on screen, you know, and let that be part. That's 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 really wonderful, Adam. Um, so so you know, just to round that out, I just you know, I just was incredibly incredibly lucky, and and you know, it's funny. I there was a quote um, that my my life coach gave me one time about the guys who started the Baja 3000 or Baja, Baja 1000, whatever that race is. And which is, um, if I, if I'd known I was making history, I wouldn't, I would have been paying more attention, you know? And, <laughs> and, but I just, I just remember all these, all this great music around and it was just so inspirational and, and, um, now I look back and I just feel so fortunate that I was actually able to witness history in that time. And, um, and Woodstock is a very, it's a very special place in a lot of ways because um, like just as far as the community, they would have these that lived a couple miles down the road would, they, they had this party where they would just basically drive around to all the houses and all the kids would jump in the back of a pickup truck and we'd all go down to this party and, and they'd be making stone soup and, and musicians would be hanging out and people like John Harold and my uncle Artie would, were there, I think. And there were just so many wonderful players and really great memories. And it was a really great little community that, that I think um, sometimes gets overlooked as when people are talking about the music that came out of it. Did you uh, have a TV? We did. Um, we had a we had a, a TV that I our very first color TV. I dragged around with me until I lived in Savannah, Georgia, and then I was moving houses in Savannah, and it was August in Savannah, and and like I couldn't lift another thing. It was ninety five degrees and sweltering, and um, my roommate had a TV, and I was. Just, and we, my, my old roommate and I called it the clunker because you would hit the remote and the chain, the channel would go clunk, clunk, clunk. Uh, yes. And so my neighbor, uh, my neighbor who I, who I was friends with didn't have a TV. So I just left it down there for her and she, you know, and so, but we did have a TV and, and, but you know, there was also, I, I was outside a lot. It was like year round. I'd be running around in the winter. I'd skate on my friend's ponds and the, or I'd be skiing or cross country skiing. And then in the summertime and spring, I'd be playing baseball and, you know, or, or we'd be riding around to friends' houses. It was like, we, we were very autonomous. And as long as we got home by dinner time, there were no issues. Like my, I think, I think I'm really glad I lived then where, you know, if you needed to make a call, you went to the payphone, and there was like a freedom to it that I think um, as much as I love the security of knowing that my kid is going to be safe if he's out because he can call me, I think there's there's like a sense of independence that you build by not being a part of that world where you're so connected. Maybe personal responsibility, you know, that you do. You you don't have to wait for mom to text me to get to get my butt home. You know, you're like I know I got to be there by that time and. If anything really goes badly, <laughs> you know, we'll find a payphone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there were always neighbors around. There were always places I could 
I could go. Um, so, so it was like a very, it was, a, it was a really unique place to grow up and, um, and it was really fun. I got, I got to like, just be outside a lot, you know? And, and so we didn't really have video games at the time, you know, or not to speak of, there was like Pong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's over pretty fast. Yeah. And then by the time like the Atari started coming out, I was sort of out in the world doing my own things. So, so like I sort of missed out on all that, that whole wave of things. So, you know, and I would go and play music with my friends and, and, you know, like I said, we'd play Sandlot baseball or, you know, we'd play and pick up basketball games or we'd just hang around in the park and get into trouble, you know, and, and, you know, talking to girls and, and, eating pizza and doing all those, all those things that kids and teens do. Did you ever bubble a fountain? No, we never did. <laughs> we, we didn't have any fountains to bubble. You know, I guess we, we could have, we could have bubbled the Swimmelink's pool or something like that. But, but, you know, that was all behind a fence and, and I wasn't quite that much of a delinquent. Yeah. We had, we had an amazing, uh, I lived across the street from Wheaton College. And oh, nice. there were two huge fountains in that thing. And like every weekend we'd be out there just bubbling the fountains, you know, and there's, you know, there's no security cameras. So we'd sneak up, you know, and bubble Mr. Bubble in the fountain. And then, then we were done, but yeah, outside a lot. So how'd you come to a practice routine and, 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 and what do you do for practice? Um, it's a good question. Uh, so it really depends on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm, if I'm preparing for a, a gig, like say, uh, excuse me, my mic's being a little janky. I pulled out the wrong one. There we go. Um, so like there, there are days like for all of us that our fingers are kind of sticky for or our joints feel sticky. And, right. and, um, so like I've sort of built up a practice routine for myself where I'll actually, I'll sort of go through a, a, a sort of quickie version of it where like, I'll just start out with a real basic scale. Oh, excuse me. You know, and I'll start really slow like that. And then I'll like go. things like that, just sort of getting my fingers a little bit warmed up. And then once I've kind of got that, I'll like do these little chromatic runs. And then I sort of work my way into like playing a little riffs. sort of walk through my different scales and my positions and just kind of get those fingers loosened up and then um, I've already played a little bit today so I'm sort of warm um, and then if I'm working on a tune of my own if it's an original tune I might be working some things out I've been I've been taking voice lessons uh, during COVID because I you know I always felt like I was a good singer but you know, it was always like my guitar playing and my instrumental stuff was here. And my voice was always here, you know, a little bit lower. And, and so I started doing that. So, so now I sort of combine the two when I'm warming up and, and, and in my practice routine. And then, so 
what I've started doing is re -go reworking a lot of my songs, not so much from the ground up, but from here and then just trying to get them to there. And I've, and I've like, one of the songs I've been using as my exercise tune because it's such a um, demanding song um, physically is uh, Sam Cooke's Change Gonna Come. Mm. Um, partly because it's really germane for our times right now but but it's also uh, change going to come. It's it goes from like a real low to a really high, and it just it forces your voice to really be at its best. And and so I've started like combining that and really like slowing everything down and looking at all my parts and 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 uh, and figuring out like okay, if I've got a solo here, where am I going to put that in? And, and like really working through those notes. So I think what I've really started doing of late is um, playing a lot more consciously. Wow. You know, yeah. just, and just being, and being more aware of everything that all of this stuff that's under my fingers, like looking at that and going, okay, well that timing doesn't work out. So, you know, just setting my metronome and just really working through that and I've made the metronome a lot more part of my life now than, than I had previously as well. Do you have um, any recommendations on that, on metronomes? Uh, in terms of kinds or just in terms of exercises? No, no, in terms of kinds. I mean, I have an earphone uh, metronome that I really like. You know, it's some little $15 boss thing or something that goes in your ear and it, it, it kind of, you don't think about it, you know, and it's right there. It's really low and you don't think about it. And it doesn't drive my wife crazy. I know. <laughs> I sometimes turn mine up on purpose to drive my wife crazy. But uh, uh, I use this, I use this little guy. It's, you know, it's, I think it's a pro metronome. It's, um, and it's, you know, it's good because I can just set times and I can set tapping you know, so it really allows me to be interactive with it. It's not, it's nothing fancy. There are, there are way fancier metronomes out there than that. But, but that's kind of one of my, that's, that's one of my big tools. And I teach it a lot and I teach with it a lot. Like uh, when people are having a hard time changing chords in time, like I'll have them change with the metronome where like, for example, it, uh, So like if I've got this, like I'll tell people, all right, so if you're changing from a G to a C, try changing in four beats, one, two. And then I'll have them cut it in half and try and change it in two, three, four. One, two, you, now you have two beats to change and then one and then none. And, and I find that that really teaching like that really helps people understand the importance of meter and, and it allows them the flexibility to move their fingers and change their chords. At the same time, it gives them, uh, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't force them to rush. You know, so like you've got, you have a certain amount of time to get this and like, all right, I can't do it in four yet. So I'll do it in six. I can't do it in six yet. I'll do it in eight. And it gives a finite amount of time. And, and so I really use the metronome as, as a training tool for people. You know, that, that it's really interesting because I think a lot of people that are trying to learn to play, they overplay, mm -hmm. you know, and they play too much and you know, listen to Bill Monroe and you'll realize that he's really not playing all that much. He's just playing what he needs to play. You know, it's, it's not the gaggle and hundred thousand notes that you think you're hearing, you know, actually you're really not hearing that. You're just hearing his complete technique and everything. And, and I, I think the metronome forces you to listen. Yes, uh, my uncle used to talk a lot. Uh, my uncle Artie was a huge influence on me and um, he was amazingly supportive and gave me a ton of feedback and uh, he's terribly missed. Um, but 
uh, I'm just so grateful because one of the things that he really instilled in me when I was learning how to play and studying, starting to study some jazz was that um, to leave space, you know? So like, if you say, say you've got like a lick like this, like that's a, you know, kind of a typical blues lick maybe, but but having that having that space where you're going like all of a sudden like you you're you're so much more able to pull emotion out of that that note and it's not really about just going and just putting all your notes out there in a crazy way it makes you able to really kind of feel that place and uh and feel it and feel the time and it almost sounds like you're playing more than you are when you leave that space. So, um, so I think I think space is a really integral part of playing music effectively. And you don't even have to be a super advanced player. Yeah, it's really. It, it, I'm I'm back to. Adam shared a few of songs from the new CD with me, and literally the first one that that he played for me, I I was sure that I was what I was listening to was a waterfall of guitars it was so beautiful and it was so well phrased and everything about it I'm I, I'm really excited for you to get this project out Adam I think it's just going to be really fantastic thanks Richard I'm really excited about it um you know I've I've been doing a lot of um doing a lot of my own production which I've never like I've done a little bit but uh on my videos I've done the production but I've never really spent a lot of time digging in and it's been a super educational process for me just learning like learning where the balances sit and 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 just like you move something over a little bit and all of a sudden it leaves room for something else to pop out and it's actually been very exciting for me to listen to to be able to uh, listen to music differently now like like i listen to other people's tunes and other people's recordings and i go well, what's going on there and what's popping out and and um you know i i have my earbuds when i walk my dog you mentioned that i'm a dog lover i have my dog here no she's out um so so um so like i'm walking my dog and if i'm and i'm listening to things and and one of the dylan we started with dylan um uh blood on the tracks there's a bunch of like funky little notes that pop out in there in that like uh i think it might be um your big girl all the way or one of those like and there's like a couple places where there's just like a funky little guitar line that goes you know it just sort of pops out but it's like it's so cool because it because it makes it unique and it makes it real like humans are actually playing and and that's one of the things that i really sort of have embraced on this on this project is like okay there's going to be some things that i'm not going to be totally in love with but people are going to know that a human made this that it's not going to be like so so it's like i feel like i struck a nice balance of technically competent in terms of the sound but also very um in a, in a lot of ways it's kind of raw too I've been listening to Highway 61 revisited almost almost obsessively in the past couple of weeks. And it just make, makes perfect sense to me right now, everything he's doing. But when you get into the nuances of what they did there, yeah. it just, it, 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 it's about making really great records. Yeah. You know, and, and, and having somebody there that is listening, as you said, and paying attention and looking for that, what makes that person, you know? Uh, producers are highly underrated <laughs> and highly over needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, you know, I've, I've done a little, I did a little producing early when I first started doing this full time as a job. And, uh, you know, there's a couple things I'd really like to have back now that I've got some experience. Um, and I, and I can absolutely picture myself, um, in 
in a producing role down the road because I'm I'm like even in my own arrangements of my songs I'm I'm constantly thinking about where things are going to sit and and I've sort of gotten way more of a producer brain going on and and it's something that um when this when this all ends that hopefully I can do some producing for some people and and really start getting better at that because it's it's really been fun, you know. I love. I have a. I have a young student right now, who's, like, his voice is amazing beyond his years, and he's just got this this naturally amazing pipes. And he's and I helped him with one of his songs, writing one of his songs. And uh, as a side note, you know, one of the when I one of my responsibilities as an artist is bringing the next generation along too, because that's, I think, I think in a way that's more that's more important than whatever, whatever success I have is the success of the next generation and inspiring them to be real musicians and, and understanding that. And um, so, so like I can absolutely pick and, and I think I'm, once all this is over, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and produce this kid's song because it's really a remarkable song. Um, and, and he did all the sweat equity on it. I just sort of pointed some directions. And, um, and so like, that's something that really appeals to me as an artist is like getting to bring my students along and, and inspire other people to do it because like, that's what's gonna, that's what counts. That's what's gonna keep this music moving forward. I, I sort of, I feel like I've been handed this torch from my growing up in a musical family and, uh, and then I've also, so now it's my responsibility to pass it along to the next ones. That's a really interesting perspective. And Adam, I wanted to ask you, um, growing up in a musical family and growing up with a dad who, you know, could arguably be said to have taught an awful lot of people guitar, uh, but in a, a very different way than we learn it today. I mean, I think when he first started teaching I'm sure he had students, but he also had to get out like pencil and paper and write out chords and write out fingering instructions and, and you know, get those printed and send those out. Um, so I was wondering, you know, growing up in that household, did you naturally take to guitar or was it expected that you would play or, you know, how did, how did you, your journey get started with all this? There's no, there wasn't any expectations, um, thankfully. Um, and in fact, um, my, my, my dad, both my folks knew how difficult the business is. And I think in a lot of ways, they were probably happy when I became a, when I became a uh, photographer for a job for a while. Uh, I'd spent about 18 years as a news photographer, always, always playing music, but Part of me always wanted, to, there was a big part of me that always knew that that was kind of my core, at my core who I was. And um, so I never felt pressure. And, and I had a jazz guitar teacher. I studied some jazz and, and a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, and he would, his name was Joel Bluestein. Uh, and Joel would, uh, at the time, his name was Joel Tobias, but he took on, I believe, his dad's name after that. And um, we would sit around for hours and just pull apart records. And, you know, he charged me $10 for a lesson. I'd spend four hours at his house, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, and then I came to find out later that um, his family was quite well to do. And so there was not a lot of financial pressure on him, although he lived in a very modest house and like a little two bedroom with records shed shredded everywhere and it was really cool so and, and i'm getting this weird message from zoom that we don't have a lot of time left i don't know why but i'm getting this weird zoom thing in front of me and so tell me a little bit about that guitar okay and if we need to like re-pick up you know reconnect and re-pick up we can totally do that great um so i want to start by saying that the first time i saw a Santa Cruz OM was when I saw Marcy, Mar Marcy Markser playing at Merlefest in 1993 or four. 
and it, and it had the SCGC logo up there. And I was like, what is that? It sounds really amazing. And, uh, and uh, from that point on, I kind of, I, I knew that I would eventually have a Santa Cruz OM. Uh, and then I saw James Nash playing one. And I did a great project with him uh, on Homespun. And I played his and I was like, oh, this is a good guitar. And then I, I had the opportunity to buy a guitar and I sort of fell for another Dreadnought, different brand. And, and then, which I really loved, but I was still sort of thirsting for that OM sound and that feel. And then, um, and so I went down to, to Santa Cruz to order a guitar and get a, and Richard and Carolyn were amazing and gave me this great tour of the factory. And, and we had just an amazing hang, one of the highlights of my life, literally. Um, I hate to break it to you, but they do that with most people, but that's okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, you know, whether or not they did, I don't care. They, it was one of the highlights of my it's life. amazing, I know. <laughs> it doesn't make it any less amazing. Um, yeah. So, so this is an OM pre-war with a buttered toast top. It's got Adirondack top, uh, these Indian rosewood back and sides. I believe the next mahogany, I'm not positive, I think so. Um, the fretboard is ebony and they had the Goto tuners on it. And Carolyn brought this out to me just I played a couple of OMs and I played a double lot and, and I, and I think I might've played uh, an H13, which my dad has one of those. And um, I played this and then I played another one and then I played another one and I played another one and then I played this and I played another one. I played this, I played another one. And they were able to liberate this guitar from the, where it was supposed to go and, and give it to me. <laughs> so I, so, um, it that was, doesn't usually happen. That, that's quite unique. And I just fell for this thing, hook, line and sinker. Uh, you know, if I could, if I was, if I could sleep with it, I would, I'm just, I would be worried about rolling over onto it and I wouldn't want <laughs> my wife to get jealous. Um, <laughs> This thing is just like, this is absolutely one of my bucket list guitars. And um, it's got this beautiful, I don't know if, I think you can see this. Uh, it's got the forward X bracing and, and the way Richard explained it, uh, Richard Hoover explained it, it's beautiful was, you know, he, you know he, tunes, he tunes all the braces and he tunes all the, and he, and he tunes everything and he tunes the top and like this whole thing, it's, and I think of it kind of like, you know, it might look like a really cool sedan, but it's more like a Ferrari, you know? <laughs> it's like got a Ferrari on the inside. And like, sometimes I'll just go, and I'll just, even now I just hear it and I go, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like like wh honestly what else do i need um i mean there's always i i need more santa cruises now but <laughs> but really like i feel like i could uh i feel like i could this could be my last guitar and i would be and i would be fine with that like this it just and i fully it within i would say within three to four weeks really sooner, but within three to four weeks, it felt so familiar, like, like it was just a, an extension of me. And um, if I could use a heavy word for, for having this instrument is I would call it cathartic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, it's inspired songs, it's inspired thing. It's, it's inspired me to play things that I've never been able to play before and express them in that way. And, uh, and the range of emotion that it allows me to express within, within, within this setting, it's like, I feel like this can do any, anything and everything I will ever ask it to do for me. And, um, and, uh, and it's just, it's, I, I think it's, 
it's one of those things in my life that has changed me as a person. Uh, it's, um, you know, really in a lot of ways, just very life changing, just because all these ideas that I sort of had in my head in a cursory way, it allows them to come out and allows me to express myself in a way musically that I haven't been able to before. And um, gosh, that's just what a, what a gift to have, you know, to, to like in, in this life to have something that inspires you every day, that inspires you to pick up and make something beautiful and make something magic out of nothing. Like in a lot of ways, I think making music is, is, is kind of like making magic. We're, we're conjuring something out of nothing and we're, and we're sending out these vibrations and it's changing things and having a vehicle like this to help you express those things is, for, for an artist is there's, there's just really no, no word for it. I mean, there's no way, no other way to express it other than gratitude and by just doing it. And, you know, it's, it, it's so reflective of the lifestyle and the, the work environment that, that they created SCGC, you know, and, and it's, it's something I've never seen before in, in, in the world. I mean, I've seen some pretty, pretty amazing things, but I've never seen a, a an operation like that or a, a management group like Richard and Carolyn and <laughs> Patty and everybody up there, you know, they're just, it's all for the same focus. And just what we just went through with the fires, you know, Richard just said, people first, yep. you know, and I, I, I talked to him the, the, the Thursday when he had, had locked, he had watered down the shop and walked and, and watered down, you know, and, and put the key in the door and walked out. And I don't know if I could walk away from 50 years of something without staying there. You know, I mean, all the wood, everything there. And there, he had the greatest attitude about it. It was just like, we're going forward. They're, they're remarkable, remarkable people. And um, it's really a family there. And, and I just, you know, I'm so, I'm so uh, appreciative to be a part of that family and be able to play something like this every day and, and, and represent that family uh, and with, with music. I, uh, I hate to ask you, but Desert Island Records? What's that? If you had, a you had to go to a desert island? Oh. What'd you take? What would you take? You can take something different tomorrow. Today, what would you take? What would I take today? Oh, that's a it's a good bad question. question. No, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think I might take I might take either blonde on blonde or desire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those, those songs, those, those albums have so much depth. You, you hear something new every time. And, and, you know, honestly, I try and, I try and draw in on that. Like when I'm with this record, I want people to hear new things, the new record I'm doing. I want people to hear new things each time they listen to it and like, and hear it and get reminded of those, those little things that, that make it special and, and like, and go, Oh yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's cool, man. <laughs> like that's, that to me is like, that's super exciting, you know? And that's, and that's one of the things about, about, a, about a record like desire where there's so much passion, there's so much cool stuff and, and, uh, and there, and the lyric depth is just be, is just off the charts. And, um, you know, and that's something I, I really strive for. I feel like if, if I can get even in the same stadium as that, I don't even need to be on the diamond. If I can be in the same stadium, I will be great with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a lofty, lofty place to be and a really, and yet a really humble and really grounded place to be because you're doing your best with what you've got in front of you. Yep. Well, and I think it's, it's just about getting out there and creating and, 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 
putting things out in the world and, and people need that, you know, people need, people need to be inspired. People need to, whether it's playing someone else's great songs or playing your own, it's people need that inspiration. People, people rely on that food, that emotional food. Yeah. And when I'm playing, you know, I, so at the risk of sounding like I'm, I have a big ego, which I guess we all do if we think we can make it in the music business. Um, but just like, if you think you want to be president of the United States, you must have a pretty ginormous ego. But, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, the, the volunteer work I do with Bread and Roses has been, I've been volunteering with them for 12 years. Um, the, the, work, the work that I do with kids, um, I feel like when I'm making music, it's really, I do it because I think it's important to share that with the world. And, and that's, and that's, and whether it's good or bad or somebody doesn't like it or likes it, you know, you're, you're giving people something, you know, and, and you're, and you're creating something and perpetuating that. And I think that's, that's really, that's the, that's the goal of the, of the arts is to make people think or to make people dance or to make people smile or to make people cry, you know, like it's just about allowing people to feel things and, and giving people a place to go. And maybe, maybe something I'm doing isn't gonna suit everybody, but there might be someone out there who, who hears what I'm doing and gets inspired and either wants to create something themselves, or maybe they just, it's a place for them to go for safe haven, you know? Kind of soul salve. Yeah, yeah. You know, like rub it on and feel good about it. And that, and I think that's one of the only good things I've heard um, during this pandemic is friends who are piano technicians and luthiers and such. There's been a tremendous uptick in um, people being interested in playing music and in creating music, um, which. I don't know if you if you got to try and find something good out of all this, that may be the only thing that that I can think of. Um, just people being creative and and using their souls and their hands and their brains together, uh, rather than just uh, locking on to electronics and letting it run things. I'm I'm I feel like, you know, I'm using this time to to get better. To you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm taking voice lessons. I'm, I'm, I'm like learning some. I'm like revisiting a bunch of my old jazz standards that I was doing for years, and like I'm sort of I'm putting myself in a position where I'm I'm using this time, this downtime to to educate myself and become better at what I'm doing. So when all this is over one day, I will be not only a better musician but a better human you know i'm learning how to i'm i'm kind of getting back to studying spanish i'm doing taekwondo i'm still swimming you know i'm like i'm i'm really spending my time wherever i can i you know i'm fortunate that i'm able to teach i'm fortunate that my wife has a job i'm for you know so that's taken some of the pressure off us i'm, I'm uh fortunate that i have a house and a in a good family situation you know there's there's a lot I have to be, I have, I, I am very lucky with. And while I get frustrated, as we all do with everything there is to be frustrated about, I feel like this is a chance for me to take myself back to school and, and learn things and get back to some of those books that I, that fall by the wayside, you know, and, and, you know, so I've been reading a lot and uh, and studying things and, and, uh, you know, getting back into that meditation practice and, you know, uh, so things like that, um, you know, I feel like the best thing we can do for ourselves right now is, is put ourselves in a position to grow for, to be, to be growing in this time. Rodney Crowell has this great line in silence lies the key to how we grow. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, it's pretty powerful. But uh, you know, it, 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's um, it, it it is really interesting times. You know, it's it's we we've fallen back so much on we've always done it this way, and that's gone now. Yeah, I mean, we have to look at every situation as brand new and every opportunity and everything, and go well. Okay, maybe we'll try this and fail, and maybe Zoom will run out the wrong time but you know we'll 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 just we'll keep going forward and and we'll just try to try to be our best humans absolutely and and you know i'm trying to bring that into my music and i think i think in a lot of ways it's weird i've sort of my songwriting has morphed into this thing where i'm getting much more in touch with the the spiritual side of of lyrics and songs and um, and and just the 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 sort of iconic ideas you know where that we're looking at like you know there were there was a lot of times where like the use of the use of God in a song was like eh, I'm not going there <laughs> and it's like small G God for me, you know, I'm not particularly religious, but I'm actually not religious at all. But, um, but it's like that idea of the archetypes and those archetype and like almost the Jungian archetypal, I know I'm getting heavy here, but like embracing that, that Jungian archetypal kind of idea into a song that, that connects us across generations and, and cultures and, and so, you know, think, and, and really uh, a sort of outgrowth of my work as a photojournalist and as a journalist has been that one of the things I've, uh, I've sort of looking, telling the stories of people, like telling people's stories, but also, but also bringing it in, into, that, um, into that sort of cross-cultural, cross-generational reference, like the stuff that we all have. Um, you were talking about my song, One Light Blues, which I'd be happy to play for you if you'd like, but um, unfortunately I don't have Josh to play that second guitar part. <laughs> <laughs> I truly listened to the first 30 seconds of that about 10 times, and every time I listened to it, I heard something different. And when you were saying that earlier, I, you succeeded in that. It's truly, a really 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 exciting um opportunity um would you like me to play it i'd, I'd be happy to yeah sure what's that our transmission isn't the best and it's a good it's good seed for planet sure. i i have it mike so maybe maybe it'll be come out okay i don't know how it sounds on your end but but um, so just to kind of give you an idea, this is, I drew on a, a lot of my, this, this whole record is really uh, a tribute to my, my growing up and, you know, where I am and where I'm going and, and carrying this, carrying this torch forward. And it's called Legacy, by the way. Legacy, yeah. Maybe it'll give some of you guys a chance to hear this amazing instrument. Get that mic there. And um, would you excuse me while I get tuned? Because I think my capo sent me a little sharp. So um, this song, though, is there's like an amalgam of characters. A bunch of who who I grew up with, and the way the way Josh does it, he's got this Gibson. Josh Yenny is a great sideman. We play music together quite a bit, and he's toured with some pretty major people. He's played all over the world. I'm lucky enough to have him as a jamming and jamming buddy and bandmate.
nothing to do in this one light town but keep this bar stool warm and chase the same girls around i've got my excuses i'll call my reasons for running out clock on changing seasons friends moved on but i'm stuck in the rug Charlie joined the army, he's doing some high-speed stuff. Josh wrapped his Mustang around a tree. Had some demons he just couldn't defeat. Got these one-light blues and the need to run. I'm stuck at the red with my glory days done. I've got the one light, got the one light blues. Doug's got a family, he's in the thick of it. So it's good to see him. Our lives don't fit. I remember when we'd run from the cops, hide out at the quarry, smoke joints and hug rocks. Got these one light blues and the need to run. Our red light turned green. You can hear my gun. I've got the one light, level but I got nothing to lose might just be a way to beat these one light blues got these one light blues and the need to run my red light turned green you can hear my engine gun I've got the one light I got the posting this Richard so I can hear that through some better quality speakers at least until the CD comes out <laughs> oh, we uh, we had some uh, we probably have some transmission stuff and there's my dog barking in the background dog lover Adam. Well, it's, you know it's, it's the world we're living in right now I have your email Tad I'll send you I'll send you a copy I'll give you a preview for sure <laughs> well it's a wonderful song thank you for sharing it with us and, uh, you know, it's inspirational how you, I mean, 
I spend a lot of time on the forums online because what else are we going to do these days? And you see people arguing about all these exotic and unusual instruments and woods and designs and everything else. And you basically have, other than maybe the buttered toast top and a couple of little minor things, the basic Santa Cruz OM. And it is such a wonderful guitar. And you do such a wonderful job of presenting it um, with your style of playing and your style of singing and everything. It's, it's, it really is inspirational. Um, I think that's great. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, and I, and I purposely, this was without even realizing it, I didn't necessarily, first of all, I love the butter toast top. It's like, yeah. like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got nothing to say other than just look at it. Um, but you know, it's it's a real tribute to what a hand-built instrument with a lot of care is, you know, and it, it like the, the finish on this thing is perfect, um, you know, just in terms of like all the little details and, you know, there's no gaps anywhere and, and you know, like all, all of the rosette is like perfect in there and, and I, I wanted something that was sort of, like I said that earlier, like I really think this is a Ferrari dressed up as something else, you know, as, <laughs> as, as like a nice, as like a really nice sedan, but, but like it's just got so much power and it's, it's like, yes, they're good wood. Yes, Santa Cruz used great wood. Yes, it's, you know, clearly built, uh, really well but they just that all that attention to detail and all those quality uh all those quality control things that they do in the factory really help make it um really help make it special even even at a basic model yes yes very much so and and that really is kind of why we all love Santa Cruz and love their guitars is is just like you put your your heart and soul into your songwriting and your singing they do the exact same thing building an instrument so it just builds up that level um, when you get to the, the the final presentation like you just gave us all that foundation that they put underneath you comes through and it's it's really wonderful yeah boy I just I'm so grateful for the team to for you know because clearly it was a lot of hands that that made this and so many other beautiful instruments and what a great you know speaking of legacy what a great legacy to leave to the world like all these machines that make beautiful beautiful sounds right like, what, <laughs> what a what a what a gift to the the planet they've given us on this yeah he's a, a truly a holy man in my uh in my world and and uh i can't i can't i can't be prouder than my association with him and and you know what what i get to do with them what little i get to do with them it's just it, it, it it's just something else so when's le when's legacy out well um i've got this indiegogo campaign going um i planned on october 1st but I had a small setback, so I'm thinking middle of October for my campaign people, for my campaign supporters. Um, I actually, I hired a, I did something a little different on this campaign, um, and I hired a PR team, which I, you know, I, I'm, and they're shopping it around to some, some labels. If I get any kind of meaningful response, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hold off on the official public release before selling it through rat. Like I'll probably, I'll sell it through my website um, and through and at gigs, but, um, but just as far as, uh, as far as, you know, the, the big official release, I'm just going to hang around and see if I get any interest in it. And if I do, I'll, I'll, you know, have a label, put it out. If not, I'll just put it out myself. But it will be available through my website, adamtroundguitar.com. It'll be available. I'm going to be dropping some singles pretty soon. Um, and I, I think One Light Blues will probably be one of them. 
and uh, and then uh, and and so if people want to check it out, my Indiegogo campaign. I think I sent you a link, Richard. Yeah, we'll post all we'll post all of that in the in the text for the for the. Um, yeah, so you can pre-order it through there, and um, I you know my goal is to get it out by October fifteenth. Uh, and 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 getting it start to send out like get it here and then start sending it out um, and it will be available by downloads too and uh, my PR team uh, is going to be putting it on on Spotify on some playlists there so excellent you'll be able to hear it there as well excellent excellent um, we'll we'll have all the links on the Santa Cruz Guitar Player Forum website yeah so you know that should drive dozens of people to your site so yeah well, at least uh, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take one i'll take dozens you know whatever whatever it takes but but i sure i really appreciate you guys having me on this is really fun any chance i get to talk music and talk guitars with a couple of pals is always yeah we can't we can't thank you enough for for doing this and being being the the guinea pig player and yes. <laughs> you know yes. somebody other than somebody from the shop on it and uh, can't thank you enough for it, Adam. You've been so gracious with your time. Um, yeah, and I do have a YouTube page too that it's pretty easy to find, and I've got actually some some things that I have that I'm playing on this on you know some a couple live version of the songs songs that are going to be on the record too. You so. have a Patreon page as well. It's Adam Trom. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. Thank you very much. Um, All right, talk to you guys soon. Uh, if you got any, if either of you guys have any questions later on post post session here, let me know. Happy to answer. Great, cool. we'll get this up probably today or you know as soon as we can. So thank well, you so good. much, Adam. We'll let you know. And thanks you all out there who are who were willing to listen to me yammer on about all this stuff. I you know I get me started and I it's, sometimes I don't stop. <laughs> no worries. Thank you very much. Have right. a great day, Adam. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. See you soon. All right. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, Please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.